137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is Pixelated Paranormal, episode number 60. And on tonight's episode, unfortunately, Stephen had to sit this one out. He's feeling a little bit under the weather. But have no fear, because Preston, we got a special guest for us for episode 60, right? Ooh, yeah, we uh, unthawed uh, uh, Grandpa Rob from the freezer. <laughs> What's up, guys? It's me. You remember me? I'm Rob. I do uh, cool things. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's momentous. Uh, we are on episode 60, and who better to join us than uh, the guy whose fault this entire thing is? Yeah. Somebody who is 60. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fuck you, Preston. I was trying not to cuss today, and you didn't look at me that made me do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Rob. Hey, guys. We've missed you. Uh, I've... I've missed the show a little bit. I told Sean I was wanting to be on a few more episodes. I didn't want people to think I had died. Um, and anybody that follows me on Facebook, um, seen some ups and downs I had recently. Um, and uh, I just want to say that uh, thanks for all the, the kind words and the worry. But uh, I turned out to be okay. I I have issues with my eyes and because of diabetes, and I have to get shots in them. And the other day, I ended up in the emergency room after one of my eyes decided that it was going to just go blind oh. for no reason. And I, um, did you not hear about this, Sean? No, I was me. in the Caribbean. Oh, so you don't know this story? No, I'm. it's been a week and a half and I'm still finding out shit that I missed. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm at work and suddenly I'm looking down and like, it looks like my, my vision is like really like blurry and I'm like, what is going on? And I keep looking down, and every time I look down, I'm like, no, I can still see, but it was because it was at the bottom periphery of my eye. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And then suddenly, like, my lights, my eyes started, like, getting really bright, like it was taking in a whole bunch of light all at once, and all these uh. weird patterns started coming over my eye. And I'm like, I thought I was, I thought I had had, had a retina detachment. Yeah. And so um, I started panicking. I went into a full-blown panic attack. And I was like, I was literally getting ready to leave for work in like 30 minutes. I was just that close to being able to go home. I called my boss. I tried to clean up my car the best I could, but I was in full panic mode. I was in fighter. I was in flight mode. Yeah. And I called my boss and I'm going, I'm going home. I'm going blind in my left eye. I don't know what the fuck's wrong. I'm going, I think I've got a retina detachment. And, uh, I drove myself home and sat down on the couch. And as I sat there, uh, I was just seeing all kinds of weird spots in my eyes and I was like, I started freaking out. Mom's like, well, I've got a blood pressure machine over here because it got to the point where I was starting to even feel confused. Like I was looking at my watch and I'm like, I was seeing numbers on like how many steps I had taken that night and it had thrown me off so bad that I, uh, I couldn't even tell you. I was looking at these numbers. Like it said like 17,000 steps that night and I kept looking at these numbers and I kept trying to think of what the hell these numbers even were. I was that freaked out. Oh, so mom wow. gave me a, my mom had her blood pressure thing and she let me use it. And my blood pressure had shot up to 191 over 141. Huh. And according to her machine. So I, I went to the emergency room. I called my friend Bobby 
um, and told her what was going on. First of all, she's the one that calmed me down enough that I could even focus because I thought I was I was done. I was like I was in full blown panic mode. She calmed mm. me down enough to where I could think and go to the emergency room. And you know they did a cat's or they did a CT scan on me. Uh, they were worried about my blood pressure. When I got there, my blood pressure was like one eighty four over one hundred six. Um, so they put me in a room and they kept monitoring me. They gave me a CT scan. Uh, they gave me a visual acuity test. And as all this is going on, my eyesight is better. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I don't know what the hell is going on. <clears throat> and so I uh, finally they got my blood pressure down. They told me that, uh, you know, we're you need to see your retina specialist uh, as soon as you can. See what this is. We didn't see anything in the CAT scan or the CT scan. So sure enough, I went home and called my eye doctor that morning at like 9 a.m. And they got me in at like 11 and uh ocular migraine really so yep ocular migraine is what it was um and i pretty much self-diagnosed myself early in the morning because uh-huh. that i i couldn't sleep so i was like on and off all night i'd go to sleep for like five minutes and wake up in panic because i was just like oh god i don't know what it is and finally i woke up at one point and heard a voice in my head just say visual migraine and i was like visual migraine and i looked it up because i had heard of them before and like the very first thing the very first picture picture for ocular migraine that popped up was this sun looking pattern. And I was like, Oh my God, that's exactly what I seen. So that let me go to sleep for like two hours so (laughs) I could calm down enough. But sure enough, I told the doctor what I was seeing and he says, that sounds exactly like an ocular migraine. I said, how long did it last? I said about 20 minutes. He's like, yep, that's about how long they last. And, uh, so yeah. So guys, seriously, it's, it it was weird, dude. Cause I looked in the, like I kept looking at the periphery and all of a sudden I just seen like, like I don't know, like little balls of like weird shit, just kind of like rolling behind my eyes. I was like, it's just attached. I just seen blood, and it's it's gone. I'm done. I'm gonna lose my eye, and oh, that's dude. I just panicked. And uh, but yeah, that all turned out great. Which and then that weekend, uh, me and my my friend Bobby, we just went to uh, Cumberland Falls, and I found out that I actually have a sense of adventure, and I didn't <laughs> know I had this. Uh, we went and found a waterfall that was there and it was just like a really cool moment in my life. I was just one of those moments where I was like, I will remember this moment forever. Just kind of being like, we came to this little waterfall. We had to walk like a mile and a half in the woods to get to it. And like, it was, the weather had been shit. And by the time we got there though, you know, everything was good. And it was like, just really cool being like the only two people around this, this really cool looking little waterfall. Uh, it was just like a happy moment in my life. It's just like something I could always remember. But um, yeah, man, I explored a cave. <laughs> I was climbing up rock facings to get up onto uh, to ledges and stuff. Because like, I think there's a cave up there. I'm going to go check this out. And she's like, be careful. And I'm like, I will. And I <laughs> climb up rocks and nearly fall. I bought a walking stick. It was a great, it was a great little vacation. You're a regular Laura Croft, man. I know, right? Yeah. I was, dude. You don't understand. When I go disc disc golfing with her, she'll throw her freaking frisbees in places, and I'll I'll climb down ravines and climb back up them to get the damn frisbee, just because I love climbing things like that. And I don't know where that comes from because I'm fat, <laughs> and for some reason I just like to climb things. I'm like, man, if I wasn't scared of heights, I'd probably want to be one of these idiots that's like trying to climb rocks all the time to get their their uh, their jollies off. But yeah. But sure enough, I was exploring caves. I'm like, I was climbing cliffs. <laughs> when I say climbing cliffs, there's like an eight foot cliff. And literally you walk to one side of it. and It's like, oh, you step over a few rocks. You're up there. But I was climbing it, buddy. There are pictures. 
So, <laughs> We've got proof. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, I'm doing good. I've started trying to do couch to 5K. I'm still on the couch part. So, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Hell yeah. Anyway. Better every day. I saw that uh, photo that you put on Facebook with those guns showing, and uh, you're looking pretty good, buddy. Oh, yeah, that gun picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my skinny little arms. My skinny Watch little out, arms. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, like Bobby says, my skinny little arms and my fat fingers. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody roasting a bunch of sausages on a twig. You know what? She said that. She says, I have sausage fingers. Oh. Yeah. That's why we call you a little Vienna when you're not around. Yeah. You're like part carny folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, speaking of pictures of things, when I was gone, while you were thinking you were going blind, I was in the middle of the ocean drinking and seeing the sights. But uh, we got back on our cruise, or from our cruise, rather. And I don't know if maybe they knew us beforehand or if it was just sheerly coincidence, but on the floor of the cruise ship that we were on, Shayla kept saying, you think we're going to find anything like Bigfoot related while we're here and blah, 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 and paranormal. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure we could probably find like local ghost stories and stuff. And we're walking down the hallway of our, our uh, floor we're on. And all of a sudden, like amongst all the classic art and, and photography of landscapes and shit, there it is. Lo and behold, a Polaroid blown up of Bigfoot. It was specifically the Patterson Gimli Bigfoot, right? It's yeah, and I was completely blown away. So we, uh, Shayla, got excited. We took a photo How of it. How fucking nerdy are we that we know what that picture is? Yeah. and know what it's called. <laughs> I know. That's what That's I said. The Patterson Bigfoot man, not just a Bigfoot. The Patterson uh, Bigfoot. Uh, the Patterson Gimli. Gimli. Yeah, Preston. Nerd. <laughs> but yeah, and there was a, a picture of, you know, a footprint in the snow. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. What a coincidence. And then, like, 10 feet down the hallway, there's like five really great artsy photos of like crop circles and <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of everything else. Did this hallway uh, have a name or? No, it it, say- no, there weren't really any names. It was just like floor one, floor two, floor three. Did or you deck ask flo- anybody like, hey, why is there so many Bigfoot pictures and stuff here? No, I I should have, but I, yeah. I didn't. Because maybe, I, you know, that they named that boat after somebody that's, oh, yeah, we named this after Leo Thorkelson, and he discovered <laughs> what paranormal is. Siegfried like, Humpledink. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a character we'll see in Borderlands 3. But yeah, it does. This is where cars live. Yeah, it was just really funny. And then um, on the other side of the hall, a little ways down, there was a picture of the Loch Ness Monster. And then... Um, That's something you want to see on a cruise ship. Right. <laughs> my uh, my brother-in-law. And, I, and my brother-in-law kept saying, have you seen the pictures of the aliens? And I'm like, what aliens are you talking about? On on the staircases, you have like staircases that go up about ten steps, and there's a landing, and then they turn around and they go up about ten more steps to the next deck above you, and there is like art, like really nice art, photos, um, photography, paintings, all sorts of really great art, and there were these two, um, like they're almost like collages, they're still life photos, and there were these two particular ones he was talking about by this artist named Sally Davies. And 
Yeah, they were aliens. What she does is find like toys, like dolls and action figures and miniatures. And she dresses up your classic like gray aliens with like Barbie clothes. And then she sets up like little diorama scenes of like abduction scenarios. Yeah, it's real weird. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if it was like just coincidence or if they had like, you know, gone through and made profiles of us. But I just thought it was a really funny coincidence that we landed on the uh, the same floor as all the paranormal shit. And nowhere else but the hallway of the ship we were staying on did you find this stuff. Everywhere else is like Ansel Adams, you know, photos and all this classic art so and weird. shit. And just no, nope, never just, Never expect to find that on a cruise ship, I wouldn't think. No, I kept telling her, I'm like, hun, we, we know a fair bit between the two of us about Bigfoots, you know, across the world in different countries. I said, we're, we're on a cruise. Like, nobody nobody talks about Bigfoot on a cruise. Maybe some of the islands you'll have some kind of, you know, uh, bipedal, hairy man. But no, not on a cruise. And then the first night, there it is, Bigfoot. Uh, I'm bipedal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me but yeah it's funny it's some funny shit man but yeah we uh, we went out had a good time got home and discovered I missed a whole lot of shit in one week so much <laughs> stuff happened I can't believe you didn't know about my ocular migraine incident yeah no I missed it man that's crazy <laughs> crazy crazy shit presto anything new with you man I feel like it's been forever like we haven't recorded in like a month I feel like yeah no, I mean, uh, the, no more poisoning of my dogs from the neighbors behind us. Uh, what the hell? Just a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's just been a, it's just been a, you know, just kind of a quiet, uh, quiet time with me. So sweet, man. Oh yeah. Your neighbors tried to poison your dog. Yeah, did I tell you this story, Rob? <laughs> I don't know if you did or not. I think I may. I don't know. We don't need yeah, to discuss well, that here. I yeah, guess. I won't. At one point, my neighbors oh. did try to poison all three of my dogs, and they were throwing up horrendously for days. Um, you remember this now? We had to call up the cops and everything, and they took away the evidence. And uh, but uh, no, it's been been quiet around this neighborhood. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear the pups are okay, man. That was kind of a yeah. annoying, scary thing. Although Bruce did eat eight. Uh, cream cheese, cheddar, bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers. Are you that sure I made. that's not what poisoned him? <laughs> so, and he's still alive, and thankfully he didn't shit himself today. So, oh yeah, I still remember that time we were out doing something, and you got you got called and had to leave early because your dog shit up the wall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he had explosive diarrhea. So, uh, <laughs> so, so intense, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad the pups are okay. Man. It's good news. Well, speaking of the Loch Ness Monster, the first bit of news I have is in New Zealand currently, there is a team of scientists who are out to prove once and for all whether or not the Loch Ness Monster is real or just a load of poppycock. If they're real. from New Zealand, are they on the right continent? For <laughs> right, that's what I thought. Shout out to Landon real quick, speaking of New Zealand. Hey, buddy. Um, yeah, so there's a team of scientists who are getting ready to head over to Scotland, um, to the locks, to actually investigate through DNA research if there is something in the water besides local uh, fauna and flora or if people are just claiming bullshit. They say that 
through DNA testing, anything that swims in the water actually leaves traces of DNA as it passes through. So what they're going to do is go collect different samples of the water and then basically separate out the DNA and, and figure out what's basically swimming and growing in the water. And the lead scientist, Mr. Gamel, says, I'm going into this thinking it's unlikely there is any monster, but I want to test that hypothesis. What we'll get is a really nice survey of the biodiversity in the Loch Ness. The team's going to take 300 samples of water from different points around the lake at different depths. They'll filter out the organic material and extract the DNA. He'll sequence it by using technology originally created for the Human Genome Project. The DNA results will be compared against the database of known species. They should have answers by the end of the year. Graham Matheson, chief of Scottish Society of New Zealand, said, two to have visited Loch Ness and gazed out in the water and wishes the Gamel team all the best. I hope he and his cohorts find something, although I think they'll be battling. Still, it's a good way to get a free trip to Scotland. <laughs> I see that guy standing out on a deck somewhere doing the Arthur cartoon fist clinch. They're going to try to figure out our secret. You know, just angry about <laughs> right? this. <laughs> Uh, final quote here says, In our lives, we want there still to be mysteries, some of which we will ultimately solve. That's the part of the spirit of discovery. And sometimes, what you find may not be what you were expecting. So basically, the man's got a tiny monicum of hope he finds. Well, I almost said Bigfoot. Maybe he'll find Bigfoot. <laughs> He's, Look, there's Bigfoot riding a Loch Ness Monster. Came for the Loch Ness Monster, stayed for the Bigfoot. Yeah, so it sounds like he's he's uh, he's open to the idea. He's not just some jack wagon who's like, nope, nope, nope. My and, name's Bigfoot, and I love Loch Ness Monster. We're going to get married and have Loch Nessy kids, and I'm just Bigfoot. Kids. Sounds like an episode of I Gravity I just want to live my life. <laughs> it does sound like Gravity Falls. That's, that cartoon's so good. <laughs> Oh, hell. Well, Rob, you got anything with you, man? Did you bring something special for us? I did. I got some. Cue the music. Coming at you from the 37th parallel, from the basement of a mad scientist, it's more fantastical tales of robots. And when I say cue the music, give me a second because i got to find it. (laughs) (laughs) Soon... Arizona law gives delivery robots same rights as pedestrians, but they must abide by the same rules. So, in Arizona, it had been against the law for any kind of motorized delivery vehicles like robots and such to ride on the sidewalk with people. However, that's a law that has recently changed. Now, uh, the law uh, the law allows the robots to zigzag through people just like any other uh, sidewalk in the world as long as they abide by the same laws of pedestrians. No running over people, no riding out into the road, no jaywalking or jayrolling in this case, <laughs> uh, making sure they obey the traffic lights and such. So, uh, yeah, that's just one more um, one more lock on the uh, on Skynet taking over the planet that we've voted down. So giving robots the same privileges as us. Huh. So, yeah. Soon, you know, they'll be making video games like Detroit. Uh, 
on PS4 where the robots are having a revolution. Well, now that's going to become real life. The robots are going to want more and more rights, and we're going to be forced to give robots rights when they don't deserve rights. And if we don't, just remember what happened in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Or iRobot. These robots have no rights. No rights. They're not even people. Robots are not people. Well, I'd ask you your stance on this subject, Rob, but I think we just Robots are not people. <laughs> robots are only good for one thing. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote in the yearbook for Rob. I had the forethought when I graduated in 1995 to put that in my yearbook. I knew what was coming. We didn't even have the internet really back then. I didn't get the internet to 1998. Wow. There was no sex robots then. No. That was still dial-up, wasn't it? Mm, yes. 56K It was the dark baby. days of the internet. When it's <laughs> you wanted to see a picture of boobs, it was going to take 15 minutes at least. <laughs> That's 15 minutes of warm-up time, okay? Rob is here. Mom, stay out of my room for 20 minutes. The boob is loading. 1998, I didn't live with my mom, Preston. Oh. Some things <laughs> change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, on uh, on this episode, we're kind of – we're in the midst of doing two shows at once. Presto and I and Steven are going to meet up um, in two days on Saturday, the 2nd of June, for our live show we're doing at Wichicon. So we're kind of planning that, and we wanted to put something together to record for you guys anyhow. So we're going to have kind of an, an easy listening show of listener stories. And unfortunately, Steve wasn't here to tell the stories, but he had two really great ones sent in to him. So I'll uh, I'll tell those stories uh, for you guys. And then I've got one more myself that I want to add in there. And Preston, you're going to kind of set the mood for us because our, our biggest story of the three um, takes place um, essentially dealing with one main topic, or I guess you'd say a haunted artifact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people might not know about it, but that is going to be the infamous Dybbuk box. Yeah, the uh, so the Dybbuk box story is one that's taken the paranormal world by storm. Uh, we had Paranormal Witness that covered it um, three or four years ago. Hollywood made a slightly above B movie about it, uh, the possession. I don't. Did you guys ever see that? No, I, I skipped like the possession myself because I thought I'm not a big fan of like PG thirteen horror movies. But when I was looking up the Dybbuk box, I forgot that one of my only you know passes I give to any horror movie not rated R was The Unborn, which came out a little before. I think it was 2009. But I guess the main antagonist in that movie was the Dybbuk as well. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that until I was doing some more research into this. But yeah, so um, go on. Sorry. So uh, this, you know, this is a fantastical tale about a small wine cabinet that was brought to America by a Polish Holocaust survivor named Havila. The history of the Dybbuk box is a fascinating one that will take you from pre-World War II to the present. But we don't have time for all that because, you know, we got to get Rob back to the nursing home and I don't, you know, want to waste everybody's time. So let's just cover the meat and potatoes of this story. So it starts off with Kevin Manis, a antique st store owner from Portland, Oregon. Picture it in your mind, September 2001. It's kind of like yesterday for, you know, me and Sean and possibly Rob. 
He's out and about hitting up the estate sales, acquiring new items for his shop. Recently, an old Polish lady, a survivor of the Holocaust, had passed away at the ripe old age of 103. Now, pay attention to that that age right there because that uh, is very important later on in the story. Her family was parting ways with her belongings, and a pallet labeled Lot 29 caught the eye of Mr. Manis. He had won the bid at a whopping $27. The lot included a sewing box, one of those steampunk pirate chest things that looks, you know, all cool. He's like, man, I could sell this for like 200 bucks. And the small wine cabinet. Now, he's loading up the treasures into the back of his truck, and the granddaughter of the lady comes out and says, uh, I see you bought grandma's Dybbuk box. And, you know, he's confused at this point, being a Jewish man of faith. He kind of knows what a Dybbuk is, but he's confused on why an old Polish lady would put a demon in a box. Uh, he tries to offer it back. He's like, well, you know, maybe this is like a family heirloom, and I, I don't want to take it. I feel bad. But the girl's like, no, 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 buddy. You fucking bought it. It's yours. Take it. <laughs> don't, we don't want that. Th- we don't want it back. And... Uh, she started to talk to him a little bit, and uh, she had said that, uh, you know, when we'd ask Grandma what was in it, uh, she would put her first two fingers, place them on her lips, and spit three times and say, it must never be opened. So um, imagine that Wait, scene from – was she spitting on her hand <clears throat> like she covered her lips and just like hawked it in her palm? No, no, no. Like imagine the peace sign, okay? Put the peace sign, put it to your lips, and then mm-hmm. she'd be like, puh, puh, puh. I feel dirty. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I know what that means. Yeah, 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 yeah. So remember that scene from King Nana. <laughs> yeah. Remember that scene from Kingpin when Woody Harrelson's driving down the road and he looks in the rearview mirror and the landlord lady's sitting in the no, back hey, seat. Hey, hey, I haven't seen King seen King's King's Yeah, I haven't seen the second one. The, we're talking about the first one. I don't think Woody Harrelson was in the first one. Yes, Kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, Kingpin. I was thinking of King's man. Oh. Sorry. Turn up your hearing aid, Papa. Damn. Well, anyways, that gesture that the landlord lady was making, that uh, gratuitous gesture, it's like that, but instead of licking, she was spitting, okay? (laughs) I digress. So he takes the box and, uh, you know, and leaves, and now he's back at his shop. Now, his shop has a huge basement. It's roughly uh, 4,500 square feet, give or take. He's got the box down there, and he's trying to MacGyver it open. And then it's got this weird locking mechanism on it. That's what I do when somebody says there's something in there. You shouldn't open that box. Yeah. That's what I always do. So, you know, it's got like a brass clasp and like a brass padlock. It's grandma's porn collection. And uh, so, you know, he's like wiggling the screwdriver behind it. And, you know, he gets out the paperclip, and he's like, oh, almost got. Oh, yeah, right. And then, bam, the thing just opens by itself. Like the doors just swung open. And he's like. Dude, this is pretty fucking intense. Like this cheesy ass looking wine cabinet. It's got like this weird, you know, mechanic system that opens up the doors. He's like, wow, this is like a hell of a deal. And then his phone starts going off and, uh, you know, he gets a phone call from a buddy. He's like, dude, I found some more estate sales. Let's go hit this shit. And uh, he goes up to the main uh, level of the shop and he tells his sales associate, Jane, like, hey, you know, all the stuff that I bought today, why don't you go ahead, you know, Organize it, label it, find a home for it. I got to go out and buy some more stuff. And at this point, she's unaware of the wine cabinet. She has no idea that it's down there. And uh, so she's down in the basement, and she says that, you know, this is the first time that she's ever been down in this basement that she feels like somebody's watching her, like, you know, all the eyes are on her. And uh, 
she's organizing and uh, the the phone rings and she uh, goes back upstairs and she answers the phone and that's when all hell breaks loose. Light bulbs start breaking, glasses exploding around the shop, the lights are flickering off and on. I mean, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria sort of shit. <laughs> and she's like, oh, fuck, man, somebody's in the shop. I, I better go downstairs. And so she's back in the basement and it's just getting more intense. And so she calls Kevin on his cell phone. And when he picks up, he can hear all this going on. He's like, you know, call the cops, call the cops. You just, you could get out of there and call it. And then the phone just dies. Now, counterpoint to all this, are we sure she didn't just get upset and be like, oh, you're going to make me stay here and do all this fucking work. I'll show you. I'll just bust all this shit yeah, up. Don't, don't, don't jump the gun there, Rob. Don't jump the gun there because that's what oh, old, okay. that's what old Kevin thought when he got back. But, so he gets back to the shop. Make me do all the work. Yeah. Mm, ain't gonna happen. So he, he gets back to the shop. And so the, the basement has like this wrought iron gate to it so that you can keep it locked at, you know, at night. So if somebody does break in like all the valuable stuff that he hasn't got to yet, like the, the big items he can keep down there, you know, safe. He's like, but I didn't lock that before I left. Like, this is really weird. So, you know, he opens it up and. He steps inside and he's flicking on the light switch and the lights aren't coming on. And he's like, Oh man, this, this is, this is intense. And so he shines a flashlight in there and that's when he notices that eight of the 10 foot like light fixtures that are like in the garages, you know, like the big halogen four bulb system. Every single one of those motherfuckers had broken bulbs, glasses all over the place. And he's like, oh, crap. And so he's flashing the light around. He's looking into the darkness. Out pops Jane, scares the piss out of him. And she's got tears running down her face. And she's like, you know, pale as a ghost. And she's like, fuck you, Kevin. And just gets out of Dodge. She just gets the hell out of there. And that's when Kevin's like, dude, this had to be Jane, right? I mean, there's no other explanation for this. Like, this basement was locked. She's the only person in here because nobody can get in or out once it's locked. Fucking had to be Jane. And he's just really blown away by this. Like, I can't believe Jane would do something like that. A few weeks go by. Now it's October 28th and it's dear old mom's birthday. So Kevin brings her down to the shop and surprises mom with the demon wine cabinet. He leaves the room <laughs> and grabs a call and mom's checking out this rad gift. And all of a sudden the doors spring open. And this waft of cold air just hits her. Instant fear, instant paralysis, and dear old mom falls to the ground, suffers from a stroke. So Kevin sells the box a few weeks later to another older couple. Okay. A few days after that, he comes to open up the shop and the damn box is back on the front step with a sign that reads, this box has a terrible darkness to it. So he's like, fuck, what, what am I going to do with this box now? Like, I can't seem to get rid of this fucking thing. So Kevin takes it home. And this is where I'd like to point out something to the listeners. Since when in the whole history of Hollywood has it ever been a good idea to take something like that home? Burn it, bury it, leave it in the woods, but never, and I mean never, take it the fuck home. So that's your first mistake there, Kevin. Now, while he had the box at home, he began to have nightmares in which he was walking with a good friend, and when he looked into the friend's eyes, he saw something evil looking back at him. That person had changed into an evil old Jewish hag, 
who then started to beat the shit out of him, and he was fighting for his life. When he would wake up, he would notice that he had bruises and scratch marks all the way up and down his back. His eyes would be bloodshot like somebody had actually beat the shit out of him. When his sister, brother, and his brother's wife came to stay the night, all of them had the same dreams. Turns out Kevin's girlfriend had the same dream when she had the box. Manus also began seeing shadow creatures in his home, as did the visitors. He put the box in a storage unit outside and was soon alerted uh, by the smoke alarm in the, the shed. When he investigated, there was no smoke, but there was a smell of cat urine, which at that point had also permeated his house. He's got no cats. So it's kind of odd that you have no cats and, you know, it smells like piss. So he takes it out of the shed, puts it back in the house again, because now he's searching the web for information and he falls asleep and had the same nightmare about being, you know, beaten by an old hag, wakes up at 4.30 a.m. to the feeling of someone breathing on his neck and the smell of jasmine flowers. And then he looks and there's another shadow person lurking down the hall. Fuck it. I'm getting rid of this thing. What's up, Kevin? So he puts it on eBay, types up this whole elaborate story about what's been going on, where he got it from, and he sold it to one lucky contestant for $140. In June 2003, he sold it to the Missouri student named Losef Nightskis. Nightskis put it back on sale uh, on eBay eight months later. After his roommate suffered insomnia, illness, and the presence of the dreaded item, and let's not forget hair loss, bloody eyes, uh, after waking up from horrible nightmares, bug infestations like giant fucking cockroaches, and that damn cat piss smell all over the house. Mm. Yeah, it's intense. Plus, plus the college student decided to do like an online blog about it, because after they got it, he was like... I'm going to sleep with the Dybbuk box. And so he put it next to his nightstand at night. And then, I don't know, he made an internet blog and people followed it. And there was a... When you said he's going to sleep with it, I just picture that song, Dick in a Box. Dick in a Box. Yeah. Or Dybbuk in a Box. Yeah. <laughs> so this professor at the college was following the blog and realized that this this, you know, this item of intrigue was for sale. And basically doubled the amount that the kid paid for it. So Jason Haxton paid $280 uh, for this damn thing. Now, the last I knew, uh, Haxton was the final owner of the Dybbuk box. He also claims to have experienced paranormal activity in the presence of it, though he also states that it had an anti-aging effect on him. So remember that the old Polish lady that brought it to the United States lived to 103 he claims that he experienced welts and hives when he first had the box and even uh, at one point was coughing up blood and choking. He said that uh, touching it almost puts it into a liquid state. He relates that while he had the box, he saw strange lights and shadows around the house. The smell of jasmine when the box was in a good mood and the smell of cat piss when it was in a bad mood. At one point, he recalls an evening while taking a bath. He came under attack in the bathtub, and then after the attack subsided, he spent the next five minutes throwing up what resembled ectoplasmic goo. Ooh. Yeah. He decided to take a rather intelligent and academic approach to understanding the box and what it was, so he enlisted the help of scientists, paranormalists, cabalists, and Wiccans to put the box in a more manageable uh, state so he could keep it. 
He believes that the force contained inside the cabinet is neutral, but plays off those who come in contact with it. Its ultimate goal is to understand and reveal truth, and that it was seeking the right owner to help it. For a time, Haxton, because of the Jewish rabbis, kept it in a box secure in acacia wood that was an arc shape lined with 24 karat gold, and he stashed it into his den. However, more recently, uh, he admitted that he ended up putting it into a military-grade shockproof container and buried it somewhere where it was well hidden and wouldn't be discovered, which is kind of a load of shit because Dildo Baggins now owns it. And Sean's going to get into that story. (laughs) So um, real quick, something that I remember – from the story that I think you overlooked just because you gave us a spark notes. Wasn't there some weird shit inside the box? Oh, yes. You know, I forgot about that. So when Manus opened up the box, he found two pennies from 1920. He found two locks of hair, uh, one blonde and one like auburn, which the mm-hmm. two ladies that created the, uh, the, the, the box, that was their hair colors. He also found a granite stone that had the word shalom carved into it. He found a gold wine goblet, and uh, he also found a gold candlestick. Uh, So part of the history of the box was that why she was a Holocaust survivor back in the 20s. Um, It was really prevalent for the, the European culture to do seances and things like that. Um, so mm-hmm. Havilo was really worried that the Nazis were going to come back after the war and get her uh, for all this, you know, the stuff that she witnessed while in a concentration camp. So she wanted something to protect her. And so they had this seance. They uh, contacted this entity from the other side. And its main job was to protect her while she was alive. And uh, her idea behind it was that she was supposed to be buried with it. But because mm. of Jewish rights, uh, the minute the, 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 the words that were carved in Hebrew on the back prevented the rabbis from allowing it, so the family had no choice to sell it. And that's why the entity inside of it was always so pissed. Um, oh, so, okay. it, it, you know, if it wasn't with the right owner, like, uh, you know, the, the college kids who would uh, host parties and pull pranks like – you know, they're like, come check out the curse box, man. And they would go to open it up and then throw somebody's hand in it. Um, so that uh, kind of disrespectful nature, that's why they never really smelled jasmine, but always smelled the cat urine all the time. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, the last guy, Haxton, you know, it, it just depended on the, the mood. Like, you know, if he did offerings and things like that, he would smell more jasmine scents around the house. But if he wasn't giving it enough attention – he would, you know, smell more cat urine around the house. And so there was a little... You know what? I've dated women like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, um, in the box, there was also a candle holder with four legs that each were a tentacle of a squid and a rosebud as well. Um, I also read somewhere that there was a uh, cloth Ouija board in there that they had made uh, huh. an Ouija board out of like a tablecloth. But oh, when, yeah. when you go to actually look up uh, like what Manus said, he never listed that as one of the items in the box. So just, uh, I don't mean, I guess take it with a grain of huh. salt depending on your source. Also, uh, something tells me a tablecloth uh, with a planchette would be an awful 
awful week. Well, they they didn't they didn't use a planchette. They actually used uh oh, what do you what do you the 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 pendulum that you know that they use yes oh, no that okay. they would just hold it above and it would swing over the the you know the Hebrew lettering. Um, yeah, so they yeah, didn't use an actual right. planchette with it. Gotcha. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Dybbuk, the spear that inhabits the box itself is a Jewish, um, I guess you'd say creature or monster. And basically the word kind of translates loosely into a bunch of different things. It it means to adhere or cling to. Um, It's a malicious spirit who possesses people or objects and believes to be a dislocated soul of a dead person. So, i.e., the the grandmother's spirit could have attached to the box or something else could have attached to it and it's been lingering with it. Right, because in, uh, in ancient Hebrew, um, the idea of the Dybbuk was if uh, <laughs> somebody who had died early on or had unfinished business, so let's say like uh, you know, you're a heroin addict and you drive uh, die of a drug overdose, mm-hmm. you could become a Dybbuk in the afterlife by attaching yourself to somebody who was suffering from the same thing, but then by attaching yourself, causing them to, you know, shake heroin and not die of a drug overdose, you've, you know, righted that wrong, and then you can release yourself from being a Dybbuk. Um, hmm. So there's there's a wide interpretation of that word, but hmm. uh, the Manus is the one that, uh, when he was writing about it, had coined the the term like evil entity and demons and things like that. So now popular culture usually associates a Dybbuk with a Jewish demon. But see, I oh, don't think that Manus is the one that coined that term because that term is a legitimate term. It It is. It goes way back. But it, way back. It, it, uh, it, it's rarely associated with an actual demon. Oh, okay. And that's when he was selling it on eBay. He was, you know, like, it, this, is a, this is a box with a demon in it. Okay, gotcha. I mean, because they talk, they've talked about Dybbuk's back in like the 1800s yeah. and probably before that. But I guess you're right. Most of the times it's a spirit or a uh, ghost. The Jewish people had a lot of weird supernatural stuff. I mean, that's where the that's where golems came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Little uh, little clay men that would uh, do your evil bidding for you. And you know what's funny too? On a on a continuing sidebar, there was an episode of Rugrats, the Rugrat cartoon, mm-hmm. where Grandpa oh, yeah, told his family was Je- was Jewish. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, and Grandpa told Tommy and all his little friends about the uh, the Dybbuk. In an episode, I think it's like I think he had to battle a Dybbuk or whatever because he always talked about his clobbermeister. Wow! But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I need to look this episode up. Yep. Um, so I mean, real quick, also, if you want to check out the uh, the famous episode of Paranormal Witness, it's season two, episode four, titled "The Dybbuk Box," and that's kind of uh, a little a little longer episode than what Preston kind of gave us, you know, an abridged version. But yeah, there you go. So he actually digs up the box, Presto, eventually, and donates the box on his own accord to um, (laughs) Zach Baggins. I almost called him Dildo Baggins like you called him. (laughs) He donated the box to him, to his um, haunted museum that he has in Vegas. So yeah, that's the, he, he does legitimately give it up, so. But yeah, like you said, um, that season two, episode twenty four B, Toys in the Attic, is the episode on the where they talk about the Dybbuk. Oh, okay, hell yeah. 
Well, everybody pause. Let's jump on YouTube and watch Rugrats real quick. (laughs) Uh, And we're back. So what happens here with our first listener story? Preston, thank you for the history of the Dybbuk box. Not everybody's familiar. Hmm. So first listener story, um, we're going to leave her anonymous. Um, Steven was the one who got the story, and I don't remember if she said she wanted her name said or not, so we're just not going to say it. April 25th, 2018. A date I will never forget. This was a day I encountered the Dybbuk box. My two best friends and I had planned a little vacay to Las Vegas. We knew we had to visit Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum while we were there, It was really one of the main reasons we wanted to go, other than the obvious, it's Vegas. In the months leading up to our trip, it seemed to become the main focus of our conversations about the trip. We mainly talked about Peggy the doll and the Dybbuk box. After my friends had a small experience of their own, we decided it was a good idea to cool it down with a talk about the museum for a while, and we did really well until it was time to go. The day we went to the museum, it was pretty normal. I'm sorry. The day we went to the museum was pretty normal. Well, as normal as you can be for Las Vegas. We all felt fine, seemed to be in decent moods, and were just enjoying ourselves. On this day, there was no alcohol involved because two of us decided to get tattoos before we went to the museum. When we finally arrived, we were excited and anxious just to get inside. Unfortunately, there was a line, and we had to wait for about 30 to 45 minutes. But it wasn't terribly hot, and we were mostly in the shade, and the greeter was pretty entertaining. When you're finally allowed to go inside, you have to stand in a cramped entryway and pay for your ticket, and there are about 10 to 12 people per group. The entertainment they provided was the Halloween episode for Ghost Adventures with Annabelle, the Haunted Doll. This area we were in is where I had my first experience in the museum. I had my friends on either side of me, and we were all standing there watching the TV, just waiting for our tour guide, and I heard a woman say, Excuse me, ma'am, right into my ear. I even turned around to make sure I wasn't in anybody's way. There was no one, and it definitely was not my friends. The tour guide finally came to guide us through, and we went into a few rooms before entering the room with Bella Lagasse's mirror. This is where I had my second experience. I didn't want to look in the mirror, but everybody else did. They all lined up opposite on the other side of the room, and I stayed put. While they were all taking their turns looking into the mirror, I felt something tug on my shirt. I turned around, and of course, no one was there, and there wasn't anything behind me. At that point, physically I felt fine, and the two experiences that I had so far weren't anything to get excited over. It wasn't until several rooms later, and we were getting closer to Cynthia, when I began to feel a tad lightheaded. There was no real explanation for it, but it was bearable, again, nothing to get excited about. However, the further we got into the museum, the worse my lightheadedness got. When we finally reached the door to the Dybbuk box... It had eased some, and I felt a little more like myself. Before we entered the room with the box, we were told it was an optional room, and we could hang back if we'd like. I had already decided before that I was going to go into the room, so this was no surprise to me. Our tour guide paused a beat 
before opening the door so other people could figure out if they were going inside. My two friends were in front of me, and I knew they were going, so I planned just to follow them. I turned my head for several moments. I turned my head just for a moment, and when I turned it back, I saw the door to the room was being opened, and as soon as it was open, I got slammed in the chest with a heavy emotion. My friends had already started towards the door, but I couldn't move. I knew if I took a step, I would begin to cry and may not be able to stop. I took a deep breath and I forced myself to move. The energy was so heavy, I was forcing myself to pick up my feet and just walk. It was like nothing I had ever felt before. I made it into the room and I walked up to my best friend. She turned to me and said, Dude, I feel like I just want to cry. And I knew in that moment we were feeling the exact same thing. And I told her so. I looked at the box and couldn't take it anymore. The feeling was just too heavy. It wasn't negative or bad energy. It just was very, very sad. When I left the room, I felt better, but the sad feeling lingered. After we left the museum, my head cleared, my sadness dissipated, and everything within me went back to normal. I don't know what I felt that day, and I don't care to feel it again. I do know that ever since that day, things haven't been normal. Here it is a month later, and I'm still experiencing things. And that, friends, is where the story ends. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so first of all... It doesn't to explain what strange things that he has felt. What's that? Or she didn't go through what strange things were, had, you know... She's been back a month and she says other strange things have happened, but she never went on to talk about that. Yeah, um, and I got to get with Steve to find out. So, guys, hopefully we're going to have a follow-up to this. I think that's the uh, the perfect <laughs> cliffhanger for the sequel. But it's, to me, well, it's... Fuck you, Sean. I won't be there for that. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to know. You can listen from your room. It'll be okay. And that, friends, is how we got Rob to come back to the show permanently. <laughs> <laughs> there's cliffhangers at the end of every episode like this is like fucking lost all over again <laughs> right. uh, yeah, and there's so no payoff at the end either <laughs> so first of all thanks for the story that's pretty great and hopefully uh, we can hear what happens after this um, if things settle down eventually or what but I mean that's kind of interesting if the Dybbuk box does indeed contain an entity that clings on to people um Maybe you took something home with you. Maybe something uh, attached itself and you've got yourself a brand new pet. Demon. Dibbick, dibbick. It's big, it's heavy, it's spirits. <laughs> Go on. No, no. No, no, no. Dibbick box. Maybe finish the song on the next episode. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. And and send us in the sequel. What happens next if, if things uh, subsided for you or what possibly could have happened next? Who knows? And Steve did say that um, his other friends that went on that same trip had some things happen too. So hopefully we'll hear more from them as well as far as any kind of phenomenon they experienced too. And maybe call a Catholic priest. Possibly. Or a Lutheran one. Or me. Yeah. I don't charge for my services. Preston, you couldn't exercise at the gym. 
Yeah. That's rude. That's the only joke I can make. <laughs> Exercise the demons. All you need is holy water, a Bible, and just the will to get it out. <laughs> Little Gideon. Preston, where do you get holy water from? Where is your personal source of holy water? I know some guys. <laughs> you know some guys? <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Cue the music. Number two. I had come home from a friend's house shortly after my mom had headed back to work from her lunch break. I walked in the house, and nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary until I passed our recliner. My Cabbage Patch doll was sitting up right... (laughs) Fuck! My Cabbage Patch doll was sitting upright in the chair for no apparent reason. I grabbed the doll and headed back to my room. The more I thought about it, the more it didn't make any sense for it to be out there. When I had left the house the day before, the doll was in my room, next to my TV stand, with things stacked up on top of it. Now, it was out in the open. I had decided it was possible that one of my younger cousins had visited me while my mom was there at lunch, and gotten it and brought it out. Normally, I would have just assumed that's what happened and left it at that. But it still didn't make any sense to me. I waited until I was sure my mom was back at work, and I called her to confirm the story I'd come up with. When I asked her about it, she denied anybody had been there but her, and she in fact had not seen the doll in the recliner when she was there. The only other explanation we could come up with was the previous owner of the house was just making her presence known. Dun, dun, dun. I think that shit's creepy just because it's a Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah. You remember that, uh, what was it, last month uh, when I was on a vacation during a spring break? I was uh, uh, at the antique shops, and I sent you guys that uh, picture of that doll. Yeah. Yeah, I should have bought that. <laughs> yeah. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have. Maybe it was a Dybbuk doll. I don't know. It looked it looked fucking creepy. It just it, it reminded me of something like I, I just wanted to buy it and give it to Steven and be like, here you go. Here's little Steven. Just uh, little Steven. hope it's not haunted. <laughs> little Feeben. Yeah. Uh, I think Cabbage Patch dolls are inherently creepy as they are. So the fact that this one just appeared in somebody's chair was enough for me to probably shit my pants that I've been walking by and seen it. I think it just wanted to, it wants a friend, like, just be its friend. It, it's not going to scare you anymore if you just be its friend. <laughs> Shayla and her sister swear that she had a Cabbage Patch doll when she was little, and it grew teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is that is that possible? So they had a series of Cabbage Patch dolls that came out that you could push a button or release a lever or do something and teeth would sprout like two little buck teeth would come down from the top of the mouth. Um, and then, you know, down through the mouth into the bottom lip. So it'd have like a little tooth growing action, but she swears she had one of the regular, you know, original ones without the (laughs) fright feature, (laughs) the fright feature. Yeah, she swears that it grew teeth, and her mom still denies that, that no, it never did. It had always had the teeth. But now she's like, no, it had no teeth, and then one day it fucking had teeth. So Yeah, it might have been a garbage pail kid. <laughs> right. 
Uh, it could have been one of the old goldfish trick where maybe they accidentally like broke the Cabbage Patch doll and her mom bought her a new one. No, it's the same one. Go back to bed. <laughs> well, thank you for that too. Um, I think haunted dolls are creepy and I would touch that with a 10 foot pole. We had a weird thing happen at our house and I'm going to tell the story at the live show, but we had a towel. I think I have a haunted towel. We had uh, our friend Patty over the other night for uh, dinner and, and watch a movie and have some wine. And we cleaned the bathroom, as you do, hung up new towels, and then hung up a hand towel by the by the uh, sink. And Shayla and I don't normally dry our hands on a hand towel. We just turn around and use the towels that are hanging, you know, the shower towels or whatever you want to call them, bathroom towels. But we had put the towel up on the towel rack and then come back in the room before Patty had come over and the towel had been wadded up and stuffed between the kitchen uh, – sorry, the bathroom sink stand and the bathtub, like in a little like five-inch nook. It had been wadded up and shoved down in there. And so I, of course, asked Shayla, like, did you just – did you do this? And she's like, no, I swear I didn't do that. So we're like, that's really strange. So I, I picked it up, fluffed it, hung it back on the towel uh, hook. And then, you know, Patty came over, had some wine, didn't get drunk or anything, watched a movie. She left about midnight. I go back in the bathroom and the towel is wadded up and stuffed between the sink and the bathtub again. So I holler at Shayla, who happens to be walking by, and she's like, what? And I point down at the towel and she just freezes right in her tracks. And she's like, quit messing with me. You did that. And I'm like, I didn't fucking do it, I swear. But maybe, just maybe, and we didn't even ask Patty, we didn't tell Patty, maybe Patty dried her hands and just folded the towel up and put it on the corner of the sink and it fell off. So I grab the towel, I hang it back up on the rack, or on the hook, and I go play Xbox with you guys. Next morning, Sunday morning, I wake up, I take the dog to the groomer, I go home, I go to put my contacts in, I look down, the towel is between the bathroom sink and the bathtub once again. Burn that fucking towel. Or maybe just put a different one up. Somebody and made a Ouija. Somebody made a Ouija cloth out of that towel. <laughs> and it is possessed. And the the lettering had worn off, but they still sold it at Target. And <laughs> yeah, Target or Penny's. Yeah, it got stuck in the it got stuck in the wrong box. It was supposed to go to the dump. Somebody's little tattered Ouija board looked nice enough to be sold at a Target, probably J.C. Penney's because you know, let's face it, they sell junk. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Rob went full Rain Man on us. Yeah. Kmart sucks. <laughs> it's apparent that uh, we don't uh, support J.C. Penney on this show. <laughs> Hell, I do. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It hasn't happened since then. But, of course, after it happened that third time, Shayla had heard me come in, um, heard the front door shut. So she came out of the bedroom because it was probably about 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. She walks in the bathroom. She's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm just staring at the floor. And she's like, nope, 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 fuck that, and just walks right <laughs> out of the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe the ghost is trying to tell you, please wash this towel. You missed it last time. Yeah. Quit being a heathen and use a hand towel. That's why you have it. <laughs> Well, um, the last story we have is one that was – I'm not going to call it a listener story per se because it's not someone who even knows I do a podcast or that we do a podcast. But um, somebody I've known for a while of Native American um, descendants that just haphazardly told me this story for honestly no real provoked reason. Um, she herself 
grew up, I believe her parents were divorced or separated or whatever. And she said when she was 16 years old, um, she had the option to go live with her dad. You know, you're 16 now, so you can choose if you want to spend the summer with your dad, go ahead. And in no way is this story going to be remotely disrespectful or intended to be disrespectful towards anybody, uh, Native American. Um, and is it Indian American? I honestly don't know. But anybody of, you know, Native, Native American. Okay, cool. Um, it's not meant to be, you know, disrespectful in any means. It's just the story that was told to me. And it's not that bad. So she decides, yeah, this summer I want to go spend it with my dad. So she pulls up to her dad's trailer, you know, out in the the desert or whatever. Mom drops her off and she's like, man, what a welcome wagon. There's, you know, tons of people just standing outside his trailer just waiting for me. This is great. She walks up. Dad comes out carrying this glass, you know, bowl with an open top, um, sits it down on a picnic table or whatever. And he's like, oh, my girl, come here. And gives her a hug. Everybody's like, hey, you know, welcome back, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, says, hey, come over here. And so they walk over to the table and he pulls out just a big, like, I think it was like a meth rock or a crack rock or something like that, some kind of drug. And takes out a razor and starts shaving powder off of it into baggies. And I guess apparently at the time he was the, like, second best cook, so to speak, in the state where they were living at. And she didn't know what it was really. She's like, oh, this must be some kind of, you know, um, practice we do or some kind of ritual or whatever. So she's like, yeah, cool. All right. And so these people had showed up basically because he had a new batch ready to go and he's getting ready to distribute to all these people. And so he says, okay, you know, my daughter has the, uh, she has the honor of being the first person to try the batch. And so she, you know, did the, did the drug and for the next couple weeks or months or whatever, she and her dad, you know, and everybody else in the, in the neighborhood get high party all the time. And she said one night she was in the midst of like a three day bender. Like she'd been up for three days straight. She's finally coming off the stuff. She said, you know, I'm stone cold sober, but I'm just not tired. I'm kind of coming down. And she was sitting in um, her dad's bedroom. Lights are turned off, pitch black. Her dad's snoring on the bed, and she's kind of just sitting there. And she says, all of a sudden, these three colored orbs or balls come floating in to the room. And she's like, I'm watching them. They're moving kind of slow, just kind of bobbing and weaving around, but all in unison. And they all of a sudden come right up in front of her face and stop. And they're just floating. And she's like, looking at them, I realize these aren't balls. And she's like, and I swear I'm being dead serious. I wasn't high. I wasn't stoned. They were fairies. They were three different colored fairies, kind of like uh, Tinkerbell or like a Disney fairy. And they're just hovering. And they proceed to tell her that, you know, the path that you're currently on is not the path that was intended for you. Where you're going is not where you're supposed to be. You need to stop. You need to give it up and you need to move on. You were meant for different things. And she's kind of wigged out a little bit, like, what the hell's going on? I've got to be hallucinating or whatever. And they tell her, you need to get out of here. You need to leave. Something bad is about to happen. You cannot be here anymore. So they then kind of sit there and have a couple more words, and they just kind of fly out of the room and disappear. She's never seen them since, but she said the next morning she woke up and she freaked out. And she's like, Dad, i got to call Mom. i got to call Mom. She calls her mom and she's like, mom, I just, I can't be here anymore. I want to come home. Please come get me. So her mom shows up, takes her home. Um, 
the next day, the DEA came and raided the dad's trailer and busted him for a huge drug bust and took him down uh, for being like this monumental cook in the area, drug dealer. And she's like, had I not had, quote, that visit that night, I would have been there and would have been, you know, an accessory to uh, his dealings. And she's like, you know, I've never seen anything since. Nothing like that's ever happened. But she's like, I've been stone cold sober for like whatever, what of 25 years now. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story that was unprovoked that she shared with me. And uh, I thought I'd kind of share it on the show. Kind of. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's intense. And unfortunately, the conversation got interrupted and I couldn't get deeper into it. But I mean, wow. pretty, pretty interesting stuff. I would, I'd like to know more if, if there's more fairy lore in Indian uh, Native American cultures. So maybe we should look into that later on sometime. But. Yeah, yeah, I think we should. Well, Rob, you got anything else to add to the episode, man? You think we uh, think we hit the high notes? I think we hit the high notes. Hell yeah, man. That's cool. I That's did good. my talking at the very beginning of the episode. <laughs> it's all you're going to get, whippersnappers. It's time for warm milk and medicine. <laughs> <laughs> it's pudding time. I've got to take my blood pressure pills. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, you guys, has anybody watched anything noteworthy? Uh, I finished Evil Genius. Yes, Evil Genius, and I also finished Altered Carbon. Hell yeah! To uh, have you finished Evil Genius yet? Oh yes, Sean. I have. <clears throat> Sean, not Preston. <laughs> no, go on, Preston. Answer for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, we finished okay. it a couple days ago, and it's crazy because I was listening to either last pod, I think it was last podcast, or. Maybe it was uh, my favorite murder. They talked about that crime, but very, very vaguely. And it was just kind of like mm-hmm. on a sidebar about, oh, yeah, the pizza delivery bomb. And, you know, all they mentioned was how he went to the bank and robbed it, sat down, and then no one could tell if he was serious. And then what happens happened. And that's all they talked about. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Just a really weird, uh, you know, event that happened in history. Had no idea the tangled yeah. web that rolls out with that story. Yeah, that was deep fucking rabbit hole. And good for them. Way to knock out a docu series in the appropriate time limit. Four episodes. Yeah, was perfect. Making a murder, I feel like, took four years to watch. I don't know. I loved it. I've I loved making murder. I loved that whole series. Yeah, it was good. Too long. It was good. I just I don't know. I like short and sweet docu-series, but maybe that has to do with content, too. There were a lot of different avenues to go down, but yeah, that was pretty solid, man. And The Staircase is getting ready to drop, I think, on the 8th. And if you guys aren't familiar with that case, it's another true crime about a guy who uh, calls the police one night, calls 911 because he supposedly finds his, uh, his wife at the bottom of the stairs and claims that she fell down the stairs and had an accident and this is a very famous true crime uh, story that is still debatable whether it's been solved or not. But yeah, Netflix is rolling that out here in a huh. couple of days. So check that out too. I don't normally like shows like that, but this, I don't know, there's something about the the diabolical nature of how this pizza delivery thing happened. And I'm like, man, that's some fucked up shit. Yeah. That's Saw level shit. Yeah. It, Yes. Yes, without any spoilers, yes. That was one where you're like, what the fuck? Like, how could it get any more? Oh, okay, yep, so that person's involved. Oh, yep, so what What the fuck did that person do in this thing? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Altered Carbon is good. I wish I could watch that show again for the first time. It's a pretty fun mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, anything you want to plug? As always, check out uh, Stephen's other podcast, O, indeed, uh, that he does with Brady. And uh, Sports Cars Unleashed, the one podcast Sean refuses to listen to, but we love it anyways. <laughs> I should record all the endings of all these shows and send them to Rich so he knows. Because <laughs> I've been listening lately and I like laugh every time that we bring up, like Sean brings up the Sports Car Unleashed and how he's going to listen to it, but he never does. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite podcast about NASCAR I've never listened to. <laughs> and the funny thing, it's not anything about NASCAR. It's a for, It's like other kind of racing. It's not NASCAR racing. Rob, I wouldn't know. I've never listened. I know. I'm telling you now. It's not about NASCAR. It's about street. It's about sports cars, but not um, na- but not NASCAR. I'm not changing totally my review. Type of it is what I say. It is. <laughs> Check out Mark Solo's show, uh, Pixelated Sausage, where he talks about all sorts of crazy things that he's into and enjoys. And if you've got a beard, I've got a beard. The other two guys got beards. Steve's got a beard. Beards. If you know a beard, grow a beard, or want a beard, check out Big Dobbs Beardbomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your entire order. And they have got beard balm, beard oil, beard soap, combs, and all sorts of other curiosities on there for your uh, chin pubes. So check them out. I swear by it. It smells amazing. When I was uh, on the cruise, I took the um, – Fuck, what's it called, Preston? Uh, the uh, Bay Rum and uh, Sweet Tobacco. Why can't I never remember it when I go to talk about it? Because some took, people don't like to smell like a drunk homeless person. That's why. <laughs> I took uh, I took Bay Rum. I always want to I want to call it Caribbean Rum. That's why I always choke. I took the Bay Rum. Smelled fantastic. Uh, and when I was down in Jamaica, every guy who had a shop, every gal who had a shop, as I'd walk by, they'd always say. Hey, Jesus is brother. Or, hey, Moses. <laughs> Gave me the giggle. Come here, let me smell your beard. Dude, all the ladies wanted to braid it. But it's I called would. they need money, Sean. I was going to say, it wasn't because how lustrous it was. It's just because they wanted some shillings. But I almost did it. I would have looked like a pirate. So. All right, well. That's enough, guys. I think we we did it. Rob, thanks for jumping in, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. Good having you back for at least one episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't get used to it. <laughs> Getting the band back together. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, guys. We will catch you all next time. Thank you so much. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.
So all you need is holy water, a Bible, and Steve's, you know, dildo baggins. So just the will to get it out.